0: an ironic media production. Visit us at ironicmedia.com.
1: And they were so baffled by my reaction, which was that I thought it was hilarious. I was laughing so hard and they were like, "Oh, you're being so nice about this." And I said, "Guys, my mom has survived this long by being incredibly feisty." you can't tell her what to do and you can't tell her when to do it you have to get her to want to do it and the fact that she figured out (laughs) how to get out of this building makes me so happy because my biggest fear is that she would go into a facility and disappear right not not literally disappear but her personality she would be squashed her nature would be squashed
0: dementia discussions Here to help and empower our heroic caregivers with knowledge and experience. Dementia Discussions with the caregivers themselves and memory loss professionals. Here to help with 30 years as a geriatric social worker is your Dementia Discussions host, Barbara Hammond. Hello and welcome to Dementia Discussions. I'm Barbara Hammond. Today, my guest is Carol Libra Wilkins. I know Carol through my UCLA Mary S. Easton Center support group. And Carol, it's a pleasure having you here today. I know you're going to be talking about your mom.
1: Good morning, first of all. Well, Good morning. I'm happy to be here. Happy to share my story.
0: Happy to have you. Start us off telling us a little bit about your mother.
1: Sure. I'd be happy to. My mom is Fran. She is currently 95 and a half years old. Wow. She lives at the in Mesita in their memory care uh, unit building. And she has had dementia for probably a good 12, 13 years, something like that. And before that, I was taking care of her in a, in a less capacity for many years before that. My mom is hilarious and gorgeous and has the biggest heart of anyone I've ever known. She literally would give people the shirt off her back. She used to walk around Santa Monica on Social Security Day and hand out quarters to all of the people without homes on the street who knew her by name. And Mm. they would know when it was the third of the month and it was social security day and she would take quarters out of her pockets and say, here, honey, buy yourself a hamburger or a cup of coffee. Of course, thinking that those things still cost a quarter. So I've been taking care of my mom in one, one form or another really since 9-11. So what happened on 9-11 is that my mom actually had a psychotic break. She had no history of psychosis before then. But she was so traumatized by 9-11 that she got very paranoid and she thought people were following her. She would walk down the promenade in Santa Monica and say, see, they're all taking out their phones and calling people when I walked by, which of course was because they were tourists and they were taking pictures. And, you know, we tried a variety of medications. At this time, she was still living quite independently and taking buses and walking all over luckily, it it sort of subsided over time. And then somewhere around 2010 ish, nine ish, I, I noticed that. So my mom lived in a tiny, like one room, single, you know, with a teeny tiny little kitchen with a microwave kind of story. And so she lived on Stouffer's frozen meals. And I started to notice that she couldn't figure out how to use the microwave anymore. And I also noticed that she wasn't taking her medication on any kind of regular basis. So I started showing up at her door every morning to give her her meds and providing food and doing all of that. And by 2011, it was pretty clear that, well, I couldn't sustain that. I couldn't keep doing that. And so I moved her into a place in Santa Monica that was kind of a hybrid between an apartment and assisted living. They had communal dining area and they had activities, but it was not a licensed assisted living facility. So I paid somebody to give her her medication every day and check in on her. And that worked until 2000 and whatever it was. Anyway, it worked for a couple of years. And then she was wandering the halls in the middle of the night. And it certainly wasn't locked because it wasn't for that population. She would get up in the middle of the night and she'd want to go outside and they would try to stop her, but it really wasn't their job and they weren't trained for that. And so ultimately what happened is that we brought her home to live with us. Wow. And yeah, wow. (laughs) It was a gigantic I'm still working. I'm in my late sixties and I still work every day. My husband is retired. Luckily, he really loves my mother and he's a fantastic caregiving partner. But by this time, her dementia was, was so advanced that we really could not leave her for any length of time. She was a little bit of an escape artist and liked to, she, she likes to move. So she would just head out. And so it was very much like, here we are collecting social, social security, but we had a three year old living with us. Mm. And we managed that actually with, you know, a little help from my siblings financially by having, you know, friend sitters. We used to call them fran sitters instead of babysitters for, you know, those few times that we had to go out and leave her. Also, I'll mention that during this time, because I was uh, still working out of the home, which I'm not doing anymore, I was taking her to the Wise Adult Day program Mm -hmm. on a daily basis, which was an absolute lifesaver because I had to go to work and I wasn't going to leave her home with my husband and we didn't have money for full-time care. So that was great because I could drop her off and then pick her up at the end of the day, just like you do with a kid when they're in daycare.
0: Now, like these moves and going to daycare, was that hard? Did your mom take to that right away or was that kind of a well, tough sell? So?
1: To our house was simple because she just loves being with me and she trusts me. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm her person. I have siblings and, and they've been great, but I've been really more boots on the ground. So the move to my house wasn't that challenging, except she did do so. She did do that thing that we know they do, which is, I need to go home. She didn't know where home was. And, you know, we thought most of the time it was to wherever her mom was or her dad was. She constantly needed to call her parents or go see her parents. She was very concerned that they didn't know where she is, which she still does occasionally. But, you know, it was helpful to learn what those things meant and how to respond to them. I know one of the things that's helpful on these podcasts is to talk about what you wish you knew when and mistakes that you made. I would say that in the beginning, we were still trying to convince her that they were dead. And Mm -hmm. I would actually show her a picture of she and I at the cemetery with their names showing on the headstone. But I learned better over time. And that made life a whole lot easier. And then we would say things like, oh, I just called them, or they're on their way over, or they're busy, and they'll be here in a few hours kind of thing. And that that made life a lot better. So the transition to my house was fairly easy for her, because she was with us. And then when we took her to adult day, initially, it wasn't great only because I was leaving her. It was just like a three-year-old. It was, you know, I don't know these people. I know you. I want to be with you all the time. But it got better. It got better. And there were still times she didn't want to get out of the car and go in, but they, it was not free. And they were pretty good at, you know, how those amazing caregivers are. They get very excited to see her and we missed you and all of that stuff. So we managed that. For a couple of years, but in the interim, so you asked about my mom, my mother had a very, very hard life. She experienced the death of a sister when she was nine years old. She lived through the depression, you know, and in those days there there was a lot of loss. There was a lot of she had an aunt who died in childbirth, and you know during the depression, her dad was just scrambling to try to make a living as a salesman. They traveled all over. She's not had an easy life, and she never had any money at all. She worked all her life and supported four children by herself. It was the early days. My dad, they were divorced, but she didn't get that much. And so she worked like a dog and raised four teenagers during the hippie era of the 60s, which was not easy with some drugs and some arrests. And she did this all herself. She's a, she's a mama lion. In her older age, she's living on like $1,100 in social security. And thank God she had a couple of kids. (laughs) And none of us are wealthy at all, but what we do have, we, we help. I had applied to the about the time that I pulled her out of that apartment in Santa Monica knowing that there was a waiting list, especially for Medi-Cal. And it took two and a half years before I finally got the call. And and what was difficult too is that you never you never know. Like I kept calling and they'd say, yeah, oh, we don't have a space, we don't have a space available, she's on the list. And that's very hard because you kind of don't know, is this going to be indefinite? It's getting harder. Finally, in 2019, They called and said they had a space available for her. What's hard, they literally said, take it or leave it, and she's got to move in tomorrow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, there was, well, either that or you have to pay to hold the bed. (laughs) (laughs) I see. That was very hard because by that time, I, I had been so ambivalent the whole time about placing her. If I had my druthers, I would keep my mom with me the rest of her life. But it's just not sustainable without a lot of money. So I made the hor the horrible decision to move her. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life.
0: Tell us about that day.
1: Oh my! Well, it was really traumatic. I I had asked them sort of like, "How do you do this? Like, how- I mean, if I leave my mom." with a friend sitter to go to a movie for a couple of hours, she reacts a little bit like a child. She's so attached. And so how am I going to leave her and she's going to spend the night? And there were also all those feelings that we, I mean, I think if you've raised children, it's so similar to me in many ways, because there's no doubt in my mind that my mom is the daughter I never had. Mm -hmm. I have two sons. Mm -hmm. and she's definitely like my daughter, and so the thought of leaving her somewhere with people who don't know her, and they don't know her preferences, and what's going to happen when she gets up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, and how will they know what she needs, was very hard, and so my husband and I decided that we were going to move all of her stuff, which wasn't much, but just clothing, and like the quilt on her bed that she was familiar with, thinking that there would be something familiar. And we did all of that without two days in advance of actually moving her in. And that was very hard. It was all very foreign and it was a weekend and there's really not much going on at the (laughs) on the weekend. And I thought, oh my God, I'm just leaving her here to rot and she's going to sit in these chairs and nobody's going to talk to her. (laughs) It was really hard. And also she just gets so much love at home. But we did it, and I knew I had to do it. We just couldn't sustain it.
0: What, what was um, she doing at home by that point? Was she still wandering? And
1: When she would get agitated or angry, she would just get, she's ambulatory, less so than she was two years ago, but she, she was very ambulatory and very strong. I forgot to mention, she's also really healthy. And she would get mad about something. And she'd get up and just storm to the door. So we had like latches. She's only 4'11". So we had latches like above her reach. And we had to lock the side gate because she could get herself to the side gate. And then I, you know, we'd have to talk her down. Or I would let her go. And I would just follow her to see where she was going. And she never got further than... Well, she did actually a couple of times she got down the street. And one time when I wasn't looking, I got a call from a neighbor saying, do you know your mom is out on the street? But that (laughs) didn't happen very often. So what was she doing by that time? You know, she was starting to be just a little incontinent, which she had not been. And it was just, and the thing is, she needs constant entertainment. So she's not somebody who, first of all, she was never a big TV watcher, but... She couldn't really track. She can't. She couldn't track even two years ago. You can't put her in front of a TV. You can't. So, you know, I couldn't do anything in my own house except sort of entertain her and take care of her. Mm-hmm. I couldn't set her up with... The only thing she did independently is she could read the newspaper for hours because she kept reading the same thing over and over again. uh uh-huh. Yeah. And so the day came two days later and we took her there. My heart was pounding and I was really nervous and scared because I thought there was going to be a huge scene. And it wasn't as bad as I thought. They did a really good job of I left her with somebody. And I also have to admit that even though I wasn't sure it was the right thing to do, I snuck away. I didn't say goodbye. Worked okay, and I assume at some point she forgot that I was there. So did yes. you just feel awful? So awful. You walk away awful. and just start falling? Crum- I, I called at two o'clock in the morning because I wanted to know how she was. Was she sleeping? Did she? I was worried about her falling out of bed. She was still ambulatory and getting up to go to the bathroom in the night, and I couldn't figure out like how somebody going to know that or watch that because they're not allowed to put alarms on the bed. They're not allowed to restrain them, which I wouldn't want them to do anyway. And there's one CNA in charge of multiple people, and you can only look in one room at a time. So I was very concerned about that. And I never really did get a lot of clarity on how that all works. But Knockwood, we've been really lucky. They told me when we moved her in, they will fall. She will fall. They fall. And Knockwood, she hasn't. She got COVID last year. In so may I like, thank yeah. you
0: for kind of going back to that really hard day and talking about it because i think like you so many people just dread that partic- that one day how hard it is for a, to put a parent or a spouse in a facility and just like the anticipation you know
1: I have to tell you that as I'm talking to you about it and you're validating that, I feel very emotional about it. And it was two and a half years ago and I can still remember it viscerally. Feeling that I'm abandoning her, the feeling that nobody's ever gonna know her the way I do. I worry they don't know what she likes to eat. You know, Even though they've been doing this for 100 years, the facility's 100 years old. It's, it it's my matter. mom and she's my little girl. So yeah, it was it was very, very hard. And I still say that if I had the option and I won the lottery, she'd be home with me. I'd have, you know, a separate little area, I'd have a full-time caregiver. Because I like having control over her care. One of the hardest things about placing her is not having control over what happens and also not Not seeing little things like, oh, where did this little scratch come from? Or where did that? Mm -hmm. Currently, she has like a fungus on her toes. And I want, now, like, did anybody notice this? And in fact, they did. But, you know, she was with me every day. I'd be on it. Right. 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 So, and yeah, some people are more controlling than others. And it really makes me feel good when I can be in control of her care. So and they're kind of good go. partners. They're good partners, you know. If I call with a concern or something like that, they're really pretty responsive. It's just hard because it's not one on one, you know. She's right. not the only person they're taking care of.
0: That's right, and they might not notice a toe fungus right away. They might not notice some of the things that, of course, you would have been right on top of. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. I mean, it sounds like so. How, like, overall, how is she doing there?
1: I have to say, currently, she's doing pretty well, but here's what happened. so,
0: Oh, she got COVID. You were just about to say, yes. Yes.
1: Last year, when they shut down, so I had been there at least four days a week to see her. And at that time, she still could like, go out for lunch, and we'd, we'd have family gatherings and stuff. So I was in and out of there all the time. And then COVID hit, and I couldn't see her at all. And so I've been very, very fortunate that in the last year, I've been able to have a caregiver for her six days a week, which I did not have for the first two years that she was there. And I have to say, it's absolutely saved my life. And I think in many ways, it has helped her from declining as much as she would have. I mean, of course, there's a natural decline in a year's time when you're 95 and demented. Mm -hmm. but I've had a fantastic interestingly enough male caregiver with my mom six days a week she loves men so it works really beautifully Uh and they have quite a love affair going (laughs) at this point which is absolutely adorable she got COVID and of course he wasn't allowed anywhere near there when she was sick And again, we're very lucky. I mean, we you know, she's like the energizer bunny. She got COVID. We would call twice a day for her vitals. According to what they told us, she somehow had COVID at 94. And she had a little cough that if you didn't know it was COVID times, you'd think she had a cold. It wasn't that bad. And they had her in isolation for a couple of weeks. It was terrifying, absolutely terrifying. And she did well through it. I mean, we're just really lucky. And so he was able to come back. And the best thing about that, without being able to go anywhere near the building or the campus, is that we started videoing every day. I videoed with my mother every day for the last year. Wow. Until they started allowing some visitation. And it just saved my life. Even if it was brief, just to see her check out, you know how it is. You take one look at them, you know how they are and how they feel. And we would play music and talk to her. And also, she has a boatload of very old photographs in her room Mm -hmm. of her early life, which is mostly what she doesn't really remember it anymore. But for a while, that was what she remembered. And we would just spend time and the caregiver would hold up a picture and my sister and I might say, oh, look, mom, that's uncle so-and-so and and he played piano and blah, blah, blah. She still can identify her dad and her sister, sometimes her mom. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty. So the aunts and the uncles and the cousins have pretty much faded away, but we still do it and we listen to music and I don't know how I could have gotten through the last year without that ability. And also, because she's ambulatory, we really, really feel strongly. We want to keep her legs as strong as is possible in one's 90s. He walks with her a lot. And honestly, as good as the caregiving might be, they sit them in a chair. They don't want them to get up and walk around because they're terrified they're going to fall. Right. And I really wonder if she'd be walking at all if we hadn't had the, the blessing of this caregiver. And we were just lucky that he only permits people that are trained to work there. And we were just really, really fortunate. He was one of the few people that was willing to work during COVID and he didn't get sick.
0: And does your mom think he's her boyfriend? Or yes. Her,
1: yeah. Hus- or her husband. husband. Boyfriend uh-huh. or husband, which is quote unquote confusing, not to her, but my husband for a long time was her husband mm. or her boyfriend.
0: You had to and, share him.
1: And yes. And so <laughs> so when we get on the video, sometimes it's confusing because her caregiver will say, Oh look, Franny, there's your boyfriend. And he's talking about my husband who's on the video with us. But then she looks up at him with these adoring eyes, just at the caregiver, just the adoring eyes. Uh, it, it's, it's very special. I'm incredibly lucky. I feel very, very lucky. I don't feel lucky that she's like all dementia. She's been leaving us for a very, very, very long time and continues to disappear. There are times on the video where she just stares at the video. She can't figure out why people are talking through a television. And that's not lucky at all. Mm -hmm. But at the moment with this particular caregiver, and it's interesting because he's taking the first vacation that he's taken since he started being with our family. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's, you know, and I'm lining up visits and I'm (laughs) lining up another caregiver, but she's not going to be there as much. And then I made sure that she shadowed him for a while, so she knows exactly how to do stuff. I don't know if everybody is this compulsive, but You're I am. You're doing
0: everything you can. You <laughs> really are. To look after her, that's so great. That's great. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I often say we're we're doubly blessed, and I say that with sarcasm and the, my tongue and my cheek, because my oldest sibling, I have three siblings, and my oldest sibling has a brain injury mm. at 72. So... He also needs a degree of care, although he still lives alone, but he shouldn't. It's it's a lot of
0: fun. (laughs) It's a lot of fun. Are you in charge of him too?
1: I am not, actually. We split the responsibility. My sister took my brother because I have so much with my mom. But my sister lives in New York, so she does it long distance. Wow. The responsible part of me and the part of me that wants to help everybody and do everything, wanted to do it. But my mom really consumes a lot of our life, even during COVID, a lot of our life. I mean, we're now... (laughs) So this is just one of those things about uh, facility. In the last two or three months, at least four items of my mother's clothing have come back from their wash completely ripped, like a huge, gigantic rip in it. So until COVID, this is how controlling we are. Until COVID. I don't know if it's the control. Is it controlling or it's just concern? It's, yeah. We were doing her laundry when she went there. They, almost everybody has the facility do their laundry. And we just had, my mom has like these polyester clothes that she's had for 20, 30 years because she never put them in a washing machine. So my husband would do her wash in cold water and hang it up, and we did that for years. And then we get to the home, and it's like, no, we're gonna we're gonna keep doing that. So it was a big deal. We had to put signs on the closet: don't send her clothes. Okay, then COVID hits, and they decide they want everything washed in scalding hot water to be sanitized, whatever. And you may not do you can't pick up her laundry. Mm-hmm. So. That was the other crisis is, oh my God, they're doing her laundry. Well, it went okay until this year. Thank God we have this caregiver on the video. He would hold up these clothes with these gigantic holes in them that she's literally had forever. I wrote to the social workers and I said, this is ridiculous. And so now we're doing her laundry again. But we live 50 minutes from where she is, at least 50 on a good day. So we go there and we pick up her laundry. And then we bring it back two days later and the caregiver comes downstairs to get it because we're not allowed to just wander in there at all. Still, even
0: now, you're not
1: allowed to? Uh, So they're allowing inside visits for the first time just in the last few weeks, which is fantastic, but it has to be by appointment. So I can't just wander in and get her laundry and say hi and leave at all. It has to all be by appointment. But I'm very grateful for the fact that now we can, I can actually go inside if I make an appointment and it's available because lots of people are taking appointments. I can go inside. I can spend several hours with her. I can walk around. But I don't know why I started telling you about the clothes.
0: Well, I think you're her. just kind of tapping into some of the issues that go on in community living.
1: Yes, and the blessing of having somebody there just for her, or I wouldn't even know that. I wouldn't even know what's going on, which you know, that might be a blessing too. (laughs) So yeah, the other thing that I wanted to mention that's hard for me is my mom doesn't have a diagnosis of Alzheimer's, and it's always been assumed that she has vascular dementia. There's evidence of a very, very old stroke that was identified probably 10 years ago, but it was old 10 years ago. But we never, there was never a moment when we knew that she had a stroke that was visible in any way. It is assumed and was assumed that she had TIAs. And so it was always assumed that she had vascular dementia. And then one day, a couple of years ago, when I was still taking her to a doctor that was outside of the home, I noticed that on her paperwork, it said mixed type, Alzheimer's and vascular. And I always feel a little bit oddly jealous in a weird way. I mean, I know this sounds terrible. Like in group, for example, so many people who say that their loved one has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. I'm always confused by that because I've done a lot of reading and a lot of research and I understand that you cannot really diagnose Alzheimer's without an autopsy mm-hmm. or a pet scan certainly but most people don't get pet scans because they're very expensive. Mm-hmm. And so I always wonder is it just a rule out diagnosis and the doctor is just guessing? Cuz in many ways I don't know. She, you know, she's now having trouble eating. She's eating pureed food and sometimes she has trouble swallowing and oftentimes she doesn't. So, And I don't know why it's important, but somehow it seemed important, a little important to just know.
0: Mm -hmm. Vascular dementia doesn't mean she would have had a big stroke that you would have seen. So it's usually tiny, tiny, microscopic, tiny changes that accumulate over time. So, you wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily be that she'd be down on one side. Usually, they say there's like a stepwise decline. So, she's going along pretty steady. Then she has these accumula- this accumulation of strokes and she takes a dip down. And mm-hmm. she kind of coasts for a while. Then she takes another dip down. You know, that pretty much
1: describes it. That describes your mom. Yeah, I think yeah. so. It does.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So and there want- are risk
0: factors like high blood pressure and high cholesterol. Diabetes, you know, there are risk factors that you try to control for. Yeah, of
1: course. Of course, once you get old enough, you're going to have something.
0: Right. And Um, usually people take like a baby aspirin a day, mm -hmm. then the blood.
1: Yeah, she's been on Plavix for years.
0: Yeah, there you go. So a blood thinner for years. Yeah. But the truth is, since there's at this point, there are medicines, as you know, for Alzheimer's, but there's no real great treatment. know they don't work. Yeah. I know that. So no reason to uh, be jealous of your fellow <laughs> group
1: members. Well, initially I wanted to know if there could be a genetic component. And then I understood that it's really very rare and there's only one type of Alzheimer's I think that it can be is genetically heritable. It's a little frustrating. It's such a minor point, but a lot of people are like, Oh, so your mom has Alzheimer's. It's like, no, probably not oh, well, then what does she have? It doesn't really have a name. And it doesn't matter. I mean, it's still just decline. But I just wanted to throw that in there that you don't have to know exactly what's going on to be so significantly affected by it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of academic. I mean, you can do all the tests and the treatment's pretty much the same. And your mom is who she is with her behaviors. And that's what you're Treating essentially. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: So it doesn't matter yeah. if she's wandering with Alzheimer's or wandering with vascular dementia. She, your mom is trying to get out the back door.
1: So. She's trying, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. She's a tough broad and she's going to go where she wants to go. The one thing that gave us a lot of comfort going back to when we first brought her there is the facility is one, they say it's not technically locked, that they're not, it's not allowed to be a locked facility, but in truth, you have to have a badge, one of these magnetic badges that gets you in and out and also gets you onto the elevator to take you down to the first floor and then takes you out of the building after that. So it's very hard to do without a badge. Well, my mom had been there about three or four months and she escaped. Oh my gosh. And I I mean, I'm laughing even as I'm telling you the story because we thought it was hilarious at the time. They did not. So (laughs) here she is. She's demented. She doesn't know her grandchildren even a couple of years ago. And she's in this place and she manages to get on the elevator with some visitors that were visiting a family member on the second floor. She just follows them right onto the elevator. They push the button down to the first floor, and she follows them right out the building. And she was noticed wandering around the campus. And interestingly enough, she was going in the direction that when we would visit, we would always take her for a walk to a particular location and she was going there, even though she was pretty new there. So they called me and they said, we have to tell you that this is what happened. We don't know how it happened. We're so sorry. Probably wouldn't like me telling this story. (laughs) We're investigating it. We're really trying to figure everything out. We're so sorry. Then they called a meeting with all the bigwigs and me to discuss it. I don't know how other people react. And they were so baffled by my reaction, which was that I thought it was hilarious. Mm -hmm. I was laughing so hard and they were like, oh, you're being so nice about this. And I said, guys, my mom has survived this long by being incredibly feisty. You can't tell her what to do and you can't tell her when to do it. You have to get her to want to do it. And the fact that she figured out <laughs> how to get out of this building makes me so happy. Because <laughs> my biggest fear is that she would go into a facility and disappear. Right. Not, not literally disappear, yeah. but her but personality, like she would be squashed. Her nature would be squashed. One of our favorite photographs is of my mother on her 85th birthday on my brother's red motorcycle, red Harley Davidson motorcycle (laughs) in Uh, front of my house. And it's the best picture ever. So she still had it in her. She still had it. And they did investigate. They looked at the guest log and how it happened. And I don't think there were cameras. And they figured out and they actually contacted the people she was in the elevator with. and, And they said, yeah, we wondered, you know, we thought like, is this okay, but we didn't want to be intrusive or insult her. And she's so pretty and well put together. They thought she was a visitor. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's great. Yeah. So, only your mom, only my mom. That's right. But yeah, and she still periodically will try to go for the elevator. If the caregiver is not there. She can get very agitated and get me out of here. That's so, so that's but amazing, you know, that's that's their job, right? One time they called me about it on a Sunday. They said, "Will you talk to her?" She insists, you know, we can't keep her away from the elevator, and she insists on leaving. And will you talk to her on the phone? And I did. It distracted her for a few minutes. But honestly, I have to tell you, my feeling was like, "What do you want me to do about it? You're there." You're trained to do this. She can't be the only person on in your building that wants to leave. Right. So I kind of felt like distract her. Yeah. But like sing her a song, put on some music or I mean that's the key to a three year old and a ninety-five year old is distract. Right. It works But well. for the most part I do have to say that caregivers are very, very caring. I don't always love the attention and the nothing to do their part Mm -hmm. but as people as people they're very loving
0: yeah that's great she's found a home there i bet they love the fact that she's a little feisty and that she has some spunk and some personality
1: i don't know really i don't know know if that's true oh i mean they they definitely love her when she's funny and she makes funny faces And she walks by everybody and says, good morning, hello, I love you. Yeah, she's very sweet, but I don't know if they like the feisty part. It makes their job pretty hard. Yeah,
0: I guess when she's trying to get up on the elevator, that's rough.
1: (laughs) Please don't get me fired. (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) What's helped you during all this?
1: My black humor. Yeah. (laughs) My humor. Yeah. I mean, currently she's, she's very aphasic. She talks up a storm. Sometimes she'll just go on and on. And like she's telling you stories and it's very emotive, but you can't understand a word she says. She usually doesn't say any string of words together that make any sense. When she does, we celebrate, oh my God, that was a full sentence. My sister calls it Mandarin. Mm-hmm. I call it frandarin There are just a lot of aspects that without humor, I just, I I couldn't get by. I just, and it, you know, some people are horrified. They think we're making fun of her, but really she doesn't know one. Mm -hmm. She doesn't know. And I think without it, you just lose your mind. Like she would go through periods when she lived with us, she has some stomach issues and there would be times when I would have to be in the bathroom and I would have to literally take all her clothes off and put her in the shower in order to clean her up. Mm -hmm. I would yell from the, and my husband would say, clean up on aisle five. (laughs) And that means he's got to bring the trash bag and the stuff to put this stuff in and then wash it. And so Uh, stuff like that just keeps us going. So lighthearted about it. When we're videoing with her the other day, her caregiver Ramon said something to her like, "How many children do you have?" Pointing to a picture of her four children, mm-hmm. and she kind of looked up and she said, "I'm working on it." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the stuff that keeps us going. <laughs> like, what was she? Th- I don't think she was answering the question that was asked because she really—the one thing that really is gone and is very frustrating—is that she doesn't respond to questions. She doesn't understand a question. Mm-hmm. But you wonder, like, what was she responding to? <laughs> right. Maybe just somebody asked me something and I don't know what they asked me. So I'll just say I'm working on it. Or it's just a non sequitur. But that stuff keeps us going. We think it's hilarious. So what helps? Uh, yeah, my husband.
0: The humor about it, it sounds like. Really good Sense of humor. Say,
1: you you know, know, having a really great caregiving partner in my husband. My sister is a good partner, even though she's she's far away. Sometimes I think I was just made for this, and some people are and some aren't. I just kind of fit right into it so long ago, and it became an integral part of my life was taking care of her. Also, I think one of the things that really helps is that in early years when we were all growing up, my mother had significant. She had mental health issues. She was very challenging, even in our adulthood. But I find her so lovable. And she devoted her life to other people. My mother is somebody who took care of her aunts and uncles until the day they died and then buried them when they didn't have children to do so. I could go on and on and on about the ways in which my mother is a devoted person to her children and her family members, and family is absolutely everything to her, everything to her detriment, really. I just feel like I'm giving back, even though you know I had my moments as a young adult where it was like, "Get out of my life, you're killing me, you're overbearing and I know people who had to take care of a parent in later life who were terrible parents. They were alcoholic. They were abusive. And I absolutely can't imagine doing that. I I just think it would be very hard to feel like they don't deserve what I'm giving them. And, And I think I probably could do it, But I don't know what that would feel like, because for me, I just feel like my mother earned this. And honestly, in some ways, in the last 10 years that I've really been providing care, I think in some ways she's been living her best life, because it was such a hard life. And now just she's loved and taken care of. And I just feel like she's earned it. So I think that helps a lot. And I feel badly for people who are doing this with parents in particular, or a sibling, where they just feel like they've been like a not very good person.
0: And you can do it wholeheartedly. You can throw yourself at this with not a lot of baggage, you know, not a lot of conflict. I mean, like you say, you're you were born for this, and your relationship with your mother. Although, of course, way back, it might have been you know you had your issues, but we did, yeah. But did. really, over time, she was such a wonderful woman and wonderful to you and your siblings. So, yeah, you're right. Giving back to her is probably easy for you. It's, it's
1: gratifying.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, it's gratifying. Not all my siblings feel that way. I have one sibling who just does the bare minimum to feel like Mm -hmm. she's my mom, I'll go see her kind of thing.
0: I don't want to include that part, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah.
1: Well, it happens, you know, Right. families are different.
0: Right. But yeah, I mean, you don't have a conflicted relationship with your mother. And so not anymore. No, no, that's great. So looking back, if there were just one thing, that you would want our listeners to remember? Maybe something that helped you through your day, caregiving for your mom, what would that be?
1: I think that just one thing is that whatever you need to do to keep them calm and happy and feel loved is okay. And to do it often, frequently, and that means not telling them the truth That means figuring out how to manipulate in the best possible way for the best possible reason. And I know for some people that's very hard, but I became very practiced at it and extremely good at it so that now it just rolls off my tongue. I mean, I can tell her anything. Every time I say, I'll see you tomorrow, I'm lying to her, right? So I think that is something I really would want people to take to heart that it's really okay to tell them anything you need to tell them. Like I used to tell her that her medicine were vitamins because she loved, she was always taking vitamins. If it helps her to take her meds, it helps everybody. And if I have to tell her that her dad is on her way over because she's going to forget a minute later, then that's okay too. Sometimes I think I want to give lessons in how to do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can. (laughs) What do you What do you say when they say whatever? So that's just one more little hint that I would Mm -hmm. have for everyone.
0: That's a great hint. That's a great thing. Yeah, great survival.
1: And join a group.
0: Join a group. Groups are
1: amazing. There you go. Thank you for saying that too. (laughs) Yeah, join a group. Whether you're at the beginning of the journey or You've been at this as long as I have, which is pretty much half my life. It's really, really helpful to hear other people. I have to say, I I often don't need the group as much as other people are, but I really like contributing in some way that might be helpful. But that's not true for a lot of people who are really there because they need the support and the hints and the information. And it's just always nice to know that you're not alone.
0: Yeah, it's so great to have you in group too. <laughs> it really is. Thank you for being there in group and thank you for Brilliant. being here today. My girl.
1: pleasure. Thanks uh, for doing the podcast.
0: Absolutely. I appreciate you. Thank you for joining us today on another episode of Dementia Discussions. If you're a caregiver or know someone who's a caregiver that would like to be a guest on the show, please call me at 310 310- or go to dementia discussions.net forward slash contact and let me know takes courage because not everyone's willing to do that i would love to have you remember that you can follow dementia discussions on apple podcasts spotify google podcasts and many more if you listen on apple podcasts it would mean a lot if you would leave a review for any other information about this podcast, please visit me at dementia discussions.net. and please share this podcast with someone you know if you think it may help. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you here again next time on Dementia Discussions.